This is a CNIB Foundation podcast. Hello, I'm James Danos, and this is CNIB Read. Welcome to part three of my discussion with author Katie Miller about her new book, Late Breaking, a collection of her short stories. So once again, lean back, listen, and enjoy. Which of, which of these stories was the most difficult or disturbing for you to write? I'm just going to I'm just going to grab my copy and I'm going to look at the table of contents. Okay, difficult and disturbing. I, I know which hmm. ones were the most difficult for me to read and disturbing. Okay, disturbing. Mm-hmm. I would have to say Lost Lake. Yes. And Lost Lake was one of those stories which ended on its own terms. And when the ending came, when the ending appeared on the page, I thought, okay, that's it. I can't change that. That has this weight of inevitability with which I cannot argue. Um, People are going to ask me questions about Lost Lake. Uh, There are two characters, two entities, you might say, in Lost Lake, an older man and a little girl who appear to people and may or may not be real. Um, And this is the kind of thing that drives readers up a wall, but I have to say I'm not exactly sure what they are, whether they are ghosts, whether they are real, whether they are visions uh, on the part of those who see them. But they walked into the story, and I had to give them room. I had to welcome them, however reluctantly, into the story because I don't often use the word evil, but there is something evil happening Mm. between those two characters. And they affect other characters in ways that are quite unbelievable in certain ways. uh, People encounter them and they're not sure that they have encountered something real or whether they've imagined it. So Lost Lake... Uh, scared me, quite frankly, when I wrote it. But I, I knew the ending when I when I saw it. Well, so did um, Ollie Ollie Oxenfree. Yes, yeah, so Ollie Ollie Oxenfree also uh, involves one of those strange entities. Uh, his first appearance is made in Ollie Ollie Oxenfree, and then he shows up many years later in Lost Lake. And again, uh, he walked in. I had to give him house room. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wish him away. He was there. So those are the two darkest um, and perhaps most disturbing stories in the collection. Um, A story that almost wrote itself, just to go the other side, is the very first story that I ever wrote, which was Witness. And what was interesting to me about that story, it's the story in which we meet Harriet, is that it wrote itself in a very linear way. And I actually began at the beginning, proceeded to the middle, and ended with the end, uh, to my great surprise, because I usually don't write that way. I usually start with a scene, and in writing the story, I find out where that scene fits. I might start with the ending, or I might start with something in the middle. But Witness wrote itself, start to finish. 
Um, a difficult story to write was Crooked Little House because it brought together so many of the other characters, and I wanted to do this in such a way that it would not seem contrived. But we get Curtis May, we get uh, Morgan in in uh, retrospect, we get Mary, daughter of Elliot, we get Elliot on the phone, we get Len Sparks, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I, I knew it would be too much to bring in, you know, all the animals, for example, <laughs> I didn't do that. But Cro Crooked Little House just technically was perhaps the most complicated story to write. Does that help? I, I, it, it now, helps, I'm probably it, going to think of more to say it, later. It helps but, a lot because I, yeah. I also wanted to ask, I, you, you indicated a wistfulness and a sense of loss when you finished writing these. Mm -hmm. Will you continue working with these characters? Will we see them again? I've been known to do that, actually. Uh, a couple of characters from the very first book I ever wrote, which was A Litany in Time of Plague, showed up in the last book that I published before Late Breaking, which was All Saints. And it was really fun to bring those characters back and see how they had aged and what had happened to them and so on. Um, so I may go back to uh, the folks in Late Breaking. I want to see Leonora, again, grown-up criminologist specializing in abducted children. You know, uh, that was the story that didn't get written because I almost brought Leonora back. When we meet Leonora, she is four years old. But we are told that she will grow up to be a criminologist and specialize, as you say, yeah. in abducted children. And I thought, oh, gee, I really want to do that. Okay, thank you, James. You've given me something to do. <laughs> okay. Um. What attracts you to the short story? What do you think can be said with that that cannot be said in uh, better in another form? You know, it's interesting. When I first started to write, and I guess I started to write seriously uh, back in the 1970s, I, my first publication was a short story in 1981, and I had been writing for a few years by the time that happened. When I sat down to write, quite frankly, what came out was short stories. Uh, I had tried a novel, didn't really work for me, although I have published one novel. Uh, I'd tried poetry, I'd tried playwriting. Short stories seemed to be what I did. And I would compare this, you know, in, in athletics, I would say, well, some people are by nature sprinters mm. and some people are long distance runners. They're both runners. Or in singing, you know, maybe you're a soprano and maybe you're an alto, but you're a singer. Um, I do love the short story form, and I particularly love and have great fun with linked short stories. My first encounter with a book of linked short stories was Margaret Lawrence's A Bird in the House. And I think I was in my 20s when I read that, and I was just so intrigued by the fact that here was a book you could read any of you could read the stories in any order, each was discrete, and yet you encountered the same characters throughout. And those characters grew, and you saw different aspects of them. And when I, again, my first book of short stories was great fun because I discovered that someone who only had a tiny little bit part in one story could be the star of another story. And it was great fun to do this. So I, I don't know. I guess that's the answer to your question. I just find composing a book, a linked collection of stories to be great fun just mm -hmm. for that reason. I get to play around with these people. And in a short story, every word takes on more significance, I think, than in a novel. 
That may be true. I tend to think that in a novel, even a long novel, word choice is as important and should be as lean and muscular uh, as in a short story. Um, some might disagree with that. Certainly, in a novel, you can relax to some degree in terms of um, going off on tangents, maybe subplots and so on, which usually you can't do in a short story. However, the short stories of Alice Munro have been called novels in the form of a short story because you get you, they're just so rich. And her great gift is to give you in a paragraph an entire life. Mm. Now, you talk about word choice. Exactly. Yeah, she exactly. taught me a great deal. See, at the opposite end of the spectrum, I, I was thinking of a novelist like Thomas Wolfe who used to just dump this enormous manuscript onto his editor's desk in New York and say, well, you deal with it. Oh, that's and, no fun. And they had to cut out <laughs> hundreds of pages. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, obviously it worked for him. It would not work for me. I remember getting a lovely compliment from Dan Wells, my publisher mm. at Biblioasis. He told me once that uh, mine was some of the cleanest copy he ever dealt with. Mm. And I said, well, why shouldn't it be? I mean, I before I show you something, I want it to be the best that I can make it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, he and I have had some wonderful conversations, usually over the phone, sometimes in person, about editing the books. And he always comes up with very, very good suggestions. And most of the time I take them. But that's after the fact. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't give him, frankly, if I may say this, a mess to yeah, clean up. Right, I just wouldn't right. do that. Because I like, you know, it's my story. It's my book. I want to write it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, what writers have influenced you the most? Oh, Alice Munro, uh, definitely. Um, well, this is uh, kind of funny because uh, when I'm asked that question, and you know, I should have made a mental list. For some reason, my mind goes blank. And then at two o'clock the next morning, I think, hey, wait a minute, there are all these others. So I'm just going to deal with a couple who jump out immediately. And one is Alice Munro, uh, and I've spoken about her earlier. Uh, she taught me a great deal about detail. The thing about Alice Munro is she sees what's in front of her, and she sees it so acutely. Whether she is describing a crocus or whether she is describing a murder scene, she does it with loving, loving detail and vibrant detail that will, that will stay with you. Um, the other writer that I like very much is uh, John Updike. Uh, and I find that there's a playfulness, uh, even when he's dealing with very serious things, there's a, there's a playfulness to his writing. You get the feeling he's having a lot of fun uh, with his subplots and so on. And one, uh, a very high point for me years ago, someone actually compared my writing to that of John Updike, and I was very, very grateful for that. Anyway, those are the two that come to mind right now. And as I say, at 2 o'clock this morning, I'll have this much longer list. But those, those two have had a tremendous effect on me. Well, how about your years working at uh, CNIB? How, how, how did those years influence your, both your life and your work? They had a tremendous influence uh, because I learned that uh, both as a, a narrator and as a technician listening to other uh, narrator's work, I learned that the best 
prose, in fact, a test of good prose, is the ease with which it comes out of the mouth. And there's, there's a flow, there's a beauty, there's um, a muscularity to it that just, it's like watching a good athlete in motion or a dancer in motion. There's something very muscular and beautiful about good prose that makes it relatively easy to read. Even if the sentences are long, they are beautifully balanced. They provide, you know, commas and, and uh, stops and so on. And that, I learned, was that good prose comes out of the mouth with ease. And and that's what I learned early on while narrating here for mm-hmm. CNIV. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know how well a book is written until you attempt to narrate it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually find myself, when I'm writing, I find myself listening to the prose uh, with my mind's ear or sometimes actually reading it out loud. And yes, if something's clunky or redundant, oh boy, you know it then. Yeah. Become so obvious. <laughs> Thank you for being with us today, Katie. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure, James. Thank you. I've been speaking with Katie Miller about Late Breaking, her new collection of short stories. We'll continue our discussion of Late Breaking in future podcasts. Today, these were my questions. I am sure you will have questions of your own. Read Late Breaking and join the conversation. For CNIB Read, this is James Denas saying goodbye and good reading. For more CNIB Foundation podcasts, visit cnib.ca slash podcasts.